This episode of Tour Denver is brought to you in collaboration with Sunrise Robot. Be sure to visit sunriserobot.net and discover other great podcasts about the arts, technology, and culture. Tour Denver is a storytelling event created by Amber Blaze, Derek Mund, and me, Michael Edwards. Hi, I'm Amber Blaze. Tour events take place live at venues around Denver, Colorado. Each night, a theme is chosen and three curated storytellers share their tales. In addition to the three chosen raconteurs, audience members have an opportunity to sign up and tell their own stories. All of these stories are told without any written notes, with each storyteller living in the moment with the audience. See the full schedule of upcoming raconteur events and listen to other episodes at raconteurdenver.com. This raconteur event took place on November 3rd at Leon Gallery in Denver. Our topic this evening was First Denver Anything. Our storyteller this episode is Morgan Hartley. Morgan is a serial joker, climber, and poor decision maker who decided to stop wandering two years back and come to Denver. He is best known for riding his bike from Paris to Shanghai, trying to hit on Martha Stewart at a Christmas party in New York, and that one time in high school he drank a coconut through his nose. Morgan shares the story of his first Denver nemesis, Long's Peak. I'm going to tell a story about my my first time in Denver, and it starts on Long's Peak. So I moved to Denver in January 2015, um, first because I thought it would be a great place for my career, because I had a lot of friends here, but also because for my entire life I had wanted to be a climber. I mean, you know, I spent all this time in the Sierras. Uh, I spent a bunch of time um, out in Georgia next to the mountains, and I always always look up and see these climbers that were, like, way high above me and feel this really deep sense of jealousy. Um, And so I moved to Denver and I said, okay, finally, I'm going to have the the location and the resources and the time to learn to be a climber. And I'm kind of a type A personality. Uh, And so I got after it with gusto. So in June of 15, I decided I was ready to to climb Long's Peak. Everyone said, there's too much snow. You can't do it. It's going to be winter conditions. And I said, of course I can. It's going to be perfect. So I went up there with my friend Kate. Uh, I had never been on the mountain before. I, I understood that there would be some challenges. Um, but I didn't really come prepared. I didn't even bring crampons. I brought, like, little micro spikes instead. Um, and, like, I had this one, like, tiny little toy ice axe that was manufactured in China. I bought it for, like, $25 on Craigslist. And I thought I was, like, ready to go. So up I go. And for those of you that haven't climbed long speak, you have to start super early. You've got to start at 3.30 in the morning. And so we started hiking at 3.30 and up and up, and you, you wind through this path that takes you through this dark forest all night, and then you come up into this boulder field, which is just this vast slope of rock and snow. Um, and just as you come up into that, the sun starts to come up, and the world is just purple and orange and pink, and it's so beautiful. And if you look to your left as you're climbing the mountain, you start to see the exposed east face. And for a climber like myself, this is basically hardcore porn. It's a 3,000-foot rock wall. Um, And it's got this feature on it called the diamond, which is really difficult vertical climbing that goes up for about 1,500 feet. And I was just so enchanted in that moment. I just fell in love with this mountain. And so I kept climbing, and you come up and you come around, and, you know, we were getting kind of tired because it's really hard, and you're, you know, going knee-deep in snow every step. And finally, we get to this feature called the keyhole, 
which is there. It's this ridge, it's on the summit ridge, and it's actually got this like overhanging rock, and that's where the hiking starts and the mountaineering really starts. And that's when I realized that crampons would have been very useful. Um, it's this really steep overpass. My friend said, you know what, we're not equipped, I'm not going, and I said, I have an ice axe, I'm gonna try it. So I did. And I got about 200 feet off the ledge and there was this mountaineer in front of me that was kind of like leading the way, so I was following his path. And I started to just completely freak out. I mean, I was just like literally digging my toe into the snow as hard as I could. Um, and I just couldn't get purchased and I was kicking rocks down and watching them fall, you know, thousands of feet and explode on the force of their own impact. And I, it slowly dawned on me that that was soon to be my body. Um, and so I turned around. But before I did, I looked to my right and I saw the mountaineer that had been guiding me. And he walked with such ease. I mean, he was like a dancer. Just, you know, up and around rocks, planting his ice axe, tiptoeing across features. And, you know, he had his shoulders straight, looking up and finding the next piece of his route. And he was so regal. It was just such a beautiful thing to watch. He seemed so free. And I decided that I was gonna be him, that I was gonna one day, you know, climb this mountain with such ease. So the next week, I'm dreaming about this all week long. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm having dreams about Long's Peak. Uh, and so the next Saturday, I drive back out at night, sleep three hours at the base, try again. This time at about 12,000 feet. Of course, it's June, so the snow is melted. Boom, break through a snow bridge. And I'm like waist deep in like glacial runoff water. And I'm like, oh. <sighs> so I crawl down the mountain. The goal is still far. The next November, I'd made a, a, a promise to myself at this point that I wasn't gonna climb it in the summer because it was gonna be too easy, that would be cheating. So I was only gonna climb it in the winter. So the next November, there's enough snow and I think, okay, I can, I can pull this off. So I, I go again, another solo attempt. And this time, you know, I've been training, I have a lot more experience, but I'm starting to get a little headache at like 12,000 feet. I'm really pulling off the mountaineering sections really well, I'm 150 feet below the summit and I get hit like a hammer with altitude sickness. I start, like, I can't even figure out how to put my backpack on. I'm breathing really heavily, uh, and eventually a climber comes out and is like, whoa, man, are you okay? And I said, absolutely not. So uh, he leads me off the mountain and down the mountain. I, I'm going to climb this mountain eventually. <laughs> so I wait. I have a climbing injury a, a couple months after that, so I'm, I'm down and out. I'm training a little bit. And then I say, okay, you know what? I'm gonna find somebody really good and I'm gonna climb this mountain in the winter with them. So I, I put a post on Mountain Project, which for the non-climbers in the room is kind of a, uh, it's, it's like a forum for uh, masochists like myself. Um, and, uh, and I find a guy who's like, yes, I really wanna climb Long Peak with you. We're gonna go at the end of February, but we're gonna do something called Keener's Route, which is non-traditional. And, uh, and it's a sort of this amazing classic winter mountaineering route that goes up the east face around the diamond, involves very technical climbing. And I told him, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And he said, you know what, man? I'm gonna lead you, you'll be fine. Just stay on my tail. All right, let's go. I mean, I can go all day, let's try this. So February 28th, it's 3.30 in the morning. We start walking. There's a big age difference between us. We don't, you know, he's 50 years old. He's sort of an old hand. I'm kind of the young pup that's like hiking ahead of him and he's like, conserve your energy, man. Um, and um, so we start walking and walking. It's about six miles to the base. And you gotta put your crampons on, your harness on and your ice axe. There's a couple easy traverses. Then you come up to this lake. It's called Chasm Lake. It's this beautiful crater-like shape. 
that's at the bottom. Um, and it's at the bottom of this face, and I'm looking up, and I am like giddy. Like it's it's like Christmas Day for me. I'm like I cannot believe somebody's going to take me up this thing. Like I might actually climb this mountain in this route, and that would just be it would be the accomplishment of the year for me. So we start climbing, and to get up, you start on on a feature called the Lamb's Tail. It's about a thousand foot vertical um, uh, glacier. And uh, it's about a 45 degree, so you just hike it and you plant your ice axe in. You don't need to rope up for it or anything like that. But it's long and it's exhausting. So we get up to the top of that at about 8 a.m. And then the next feature starts. This one's called the Broadway. The Broadway is a ledge that is, uh, it's, it's no bigger than the width of a car seat at its widest point. And at other points, it's about half the length of your boot. And there's rocks that overhang it that you have to duck under and climb over and lean back over into this kind of 1,400 foot abyss that's beneath you. And for that one, you rope up. And we used a technique called simul climbing. So rather than one person feeding rope, you're both attached at other ends. And there's gear in beneath you. So if one climber falls, you both fall, and you serve as a counterweight to each other. So I start to get really, I'm, I'm getting my nerves up at this point, right? Like we're like really high up, and the snow is super sketchy. You know, everything has this like thin layer of ice into it. So you're trying to chip your ice axe into these tiny little cracks and break out the ice and twist it so it'll hold. Um, and uh, and but I'm like keeping my cool because I'm like I'm a climber now. Like I'm not not gonna do this. Um, and I wanted that so bad. I wanted that recognition to be accepted into this club of people that could accomplish these feats. So I kept climbing. After you cross the Broadway is where the hard stuff really begins. There's a couloir that goes up. It goes up about 1,800 feet directly to the summit ridge. And you have to go up that to the right of it on rock for a little while. And then you cut right through a tiny notch and then you get to four pitches. A pitch is a length of rope that's right underneath the summit. So we're climbing and we're climbing and we're climbing, but there's all these cornices everywhere, which are giant snow piles that can break. So we can't get to the right. And what should have been really easy climbing is starting to get really hard because we're getting further and further off route. And all of a sudden, you know, we're, I'm like, you know, trying to dig the point of my crampon into these tiny little pin scars and reaching really high for the next hold with my ice axe. And, uh, and I'm saying, like, well, I'm getting out of my league here, but. At this point, you're committed. There's no way on or off. Like, you have to get to the top. And we're closer to the top than the bottom. So I said, okay, we just, we're gonna get to the summit. At around 2 p.m., elevation about 13,500 to 13,600, um, we come to a period that's absolutely terrifying. The snow has fallen over, and uh, it's covering this long, long stretch. We've been climbing now since four in the morning. and. Uh, my body starts to traverse. It's the worst possible conditions. Loose, powdery snow over a hard crust that had been refrozen. Impossible to protect, no rock sticking out. Uh, and so we're going. And there's a moment where we're both crossing this really dangerous section with absolutely nothing in the rock, just completely free soling, 2,800 feet in the air. And I called out to him. I got to a safe perch, and I, I, I planted my ice axe for safety, and I said, I, I'm done, man. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. We're going to turn around and get down the mountain. And he looked at me and he was a little disappointed, but he said, you know what, you're right, this is safe. So we start to descend. And obviously we have to do everything we just did over again, right? So by the time we get down, all the way down the lion slide back to Chasm Lake, it's about 6.30, 6.45. And night is setting. We are exhausted. I've been climbing for 13 hours. And I, I put on my extra heavy gear, ditch all my climbing stuff, except for my crampons, which I'm gonna need, and my ice axe. Um, and we saddle our packs up and we start walking down. But the day was 
warmer than freezing. It was about 45 degrees down there. And um, it was, the snow had started to melt and shift. So all the landmarks that we had depended on to get out, we couldn't find. And so he says, I think it's up there. And now I'm following him blindly on a cliff face without a light, just following his steps without a rope across this cliff face. We go higher and higher. And I said, you know what, man? I'm starting to feel pretty sketchy. And he says, absolutely not. You can go your own way if you want to, but we're going this way. And I was like, well, I don't have a light, so I guess I'm following you, buddy. <laughs> so we keep going up, keep going up, until my partner starts screaming. And we come to this amazing crux roof uh, that we had to do. And so he crossed it without a rope. And he said, you have to do it. And I was like, (laughs) and there's this moment where you just kind of take a deep breath and you do it and you cross it because you know you have no other option. Finally, we find a horn and I can see some ski tracks way down there, about 120 feet below us. And I say, hey, if we can get down to those tracks, those are going to lead us off the mountain. It's night. We're exhausted. My water froze six hours ago. At this point, I'm wasted. Like, I've been climbing all day. My body is starting to shut down. And there's a small horn there. And I say, listen, we're going to sling this horn. I'm going to build the first rappel. You'll go down, you'll build the second one, and we're going to get off. So that's what I do. I'm hanging on this horn. I lower him off of it. He's down at the second station, building the second rappel device. And I say, okay. And I toss the other, the other half of the rope off to rappel down. And it gets tangled. So I say, okay. God damn it, I really just wanted to be off this mountain. And so I rappel down, and I start untangling the rope, and I'm loosening it and loosening it, and as I do it, I bounce on the rope, and then... (gasps) The entire horn broke. And I feel myself fall backwards, and I'm falling for what feels like forever. And I have just enough conscience to say, okay, I'm going to throw away my ice axe so I don't land on it. So I throw the ice axe... And I'm still in midair. I'm like, I have to hit the ground eventually. And it starts to occur to me that when I do hit the ground, I'm probably going to die. I was 100 feet over when I fell. And I'm still falling, I'm still falling, I'm still falling. And then I feel an impact, just this brutal crushing impact. I felt like a car crash. And I feel my neck slash back, and I just see a world of sparks, and I'm done. I wake up about 60 feet below that on the ice. And I look up, and I'm pretty sure I'm dead. Like, I can't feel anything. I can't hear anything. I can't move. I'm just stuck on the snow. Um, And then after about 40 seconds, I I feel a little gurgle, and I notice that my lungs are moving. And I think, holy shit. How did I survive that? And so, you know, when you're trained in those situations to start going through checklists. And so I look through and I, 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 I test and I think, oh, my back is intact. And what had happened is that I'd hit backpack first and ricocheted. And because I passed out, my body was limp enough that I could hit the snow and absorb some of the impact. But I'm not uninjured. My hip is completely smashed on the inside. I have bruised ribs, and for those of you in the audience can see the scars on my arm, I can see bones sticking out of both places on my arm. And I'm lying in the snow there bleeding, and I think, okay, well, I guess I have to get my buddy down. He is 60 feet up a cliff without a rope. And so I see him, and I yell to him, and I tell him that I'm alive. And he can't believe his ears. So slowly he starts to down-climb towards me. And that's when the hallucinations start. 
and I just see this giant lizard slithering down towards me. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It was, it was also just like deeply terrifying at the time. Um, and, uh, uh, and as he gets down, you know, I'm thinking, how, what are we going to do? Can I walk? Can I get out? Um, and he gets to me and we have a conversation about this. You weigh the risks and the benefits. Neither of us have a contact option. My cell phone is dead, he didn't bring his. Neither of us bring an emergency contact system. So there's really two options. One is, you dig a hole and you let me stay in it, uh, and then he goes down and he gets help and I get choppered out about six hours later. But we look to the east and the winds were already picking up. I mean, gale force winds, they would knock you over if you were standing up in them. And the temperature was dropping, you know. Uh, I had a little thermometer and it was going from 20 to 18 to 15. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to survive a night bleeding in the snow. So, okay, I'm going to walk out. I'm going to walk out with you. And he goes, you sure? I said, yeah, I'm going to walk out. So we stood up and we started this traverse, little by little, little by little. And sometimes I would lean in and he would push my right foot into the snow with his ice axe to make sure that my crampon was engaged so that I could take the next step. And we kept going and going and going. And then finally we got over past the technical section. And we had a conversation. And, uh, and you know, what we decided at that point was that uh, it was a very simple equation. If I stopped moving, given the blood loss and, and the extreme shock and the cold, I was gonna die. But if I kept moving, and I could keep moving almost indefinitely, then I would survive. And that was the calculus. And so that's what we did, and we kept moving. And around me, these, the, there was a, an amazing series of hallucinations that started as my body just entered like the very edge of its energy, the point where like you think that you normally don't have any energy, but somehow in the core of your body, like you managed to take one more step, and then one more step. And around me, entire villages were springing up. I saw a church with people building a tower. I saw, uh, and as we got deeper about, uh, Five hours later, I reached the forest, crawling, and I was starting to see like chalets. My aunt owned a chalet in Switzerland, and she would make raclette, the famous Swiss cheese dish, and there she was, making raclette in her chalet in the forest. And I would stop there and look up and think, I should just go in there and go to sleep. And then I'd say, but I can't, because I can't stop. And so slowly we met, and soon I, I, I realized that the parking lot was my salvation. And the moment I thought about that, everywhere I looked, there was a parking lot. I couldn't tell. It seemed to go on forever and ever and ever. So at 4.30 in the morning, we finally reached the parking lot. I was completely exhausted, wiped. I'd lost um, a lot of blood. And I finally, I remember getting to the parking lot and he was like, we're at the parking lot. And I'm like, no, man, this is like the 29th parking lot. <laughs> He's like, no, man, this is the real one. We're going to the hospital now. And so I made that, and I made it, and uh, I spent five days in the ICU. Um, I got taken care of, but I'm all back together on. But that's not the end of the story. <laughs> the story's still not over. Um, and what I wanted to share with you all tonight is that four months after that, I went back out, and I started climbing again. Now, it may be that I have some serious mental disorder. Um, but I think more likely is that whenever you climb, um, whenever I climb, 
Um, I'm there again. I'm on the cliff again. I feel the fall again. Every time I like whip off a high bolt and come down, it's like I'm going to fall all 120 feet again. And I decided that I wasn't going to let that stop me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tour Denver. If you enjoyed this story and live in Denver, join us at the Ubi Sabubi Room under the Thin Man on January 10th for our next Tour event with the topic of Arrested. Here's a reminder to visit RacketourDenver.com where you can find upcoming events, speaker bios, podcasts, and more. This is the final episode produced by Mike Edwards of Sunrise Robot. Over the last year, Mike has ensured that the Tour Denver podcast was of the highest quality, and we will definitely miss his talent, his voice, and the random embarrassing tidbits he would pull from recordings and text to us. As we move on into our second season, we just want to say thank you, Mike, for being so awesome, and good luck with everything.